Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Thank you for coming on the show. And you, you're in Dallas? Thank you. Yes, Dallas, Texas, of all places. <laughs> it's, it's the hot spot at the moment. Everyone's moving here at the I moment. Know. It's crazy. Oh, Austin and Texas, you know. Yeah. Texas. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I have a ton of friends that are like, I go, where are you moving? They're like, Austin. I go, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like everyone's moving here. There's just the roads used to be quiet. Now they're busy. <laughs> yeah. So I, in preparation, I was joking with you before we started that, to get ready to talk to you. You know, you have so much information that you've learned to apply, you know, from your brain to your hormones. I mean, it, you know, it's and even sort of the, and, and a spiritual aspect as well that I was thinking, OK, what am I going to try to bite into? So I'm, I'm going to try to bite nibble into all of it because I think it's such valuable information. But I want to I want to just start with the beginning of your journey, because I think you know, coming and, and, and being born in Africa and working with people. Well, first of all, let's talk about why you decided to, to get into the medical field. What it, what, were you always interested? Did you know, you know, talk to me a little bit about how you, as a, as a young person, yeah, got into this. Yeah. Always, always fascinated with medicine. I was always going to be a neurosurgeon from very young or going to, you know, that sort of world psychiatry and neurosurgery, even though they're worlds apart. And I was always fascinated with that from very young. So it was, it was from, from very early. So as an 18 year old, when I went into university, I started trying to do a combination of degrees that would allow me to access all that information. And I managed to, they had a degree going at that stage where I could, they mixed medicine with neuroscience, with mind. Very unusual, it was an experiment. And it only had four, four groups that actually got, went through. So there's only 60 of us in the world that, uh, 60 of us that qualified with that particular combination of degrees. And then they stopped it because they had taken seven years and put it into four. And it was just so labor intensive and training intensive. But I'm very pleased I did that. Although many times I wanted to go into pure medicine, but I'm glad I didn't because I wouldn't have learned about the mind. And that's been my focus. Mind has been consumed me for 38 years in my clinical practice, my research, my books, everything I do. And you, and you mentioned that you had a mentor early that really encouraged you not to get into teaching. Yes. So I had, I had some, I asked the question back in the eighties that what is the mind? How does the mind work? What's the brain? How's the mind separate from the brain? Can the brain change? And you didn't ask those questions in the eighties because in the eighties, you were told that the brain, this is the brain's it, that's the brain, how it works. And if you damage, if it's damaged, well, it can't be fixed. And that's just the end of the story. You just learn how to manage it. And I find that very difficult, found that very difficult to work with. And in, in that group of professors, there were a couple of very enlightened professors professors who encouraged me to do the research around mind and mind is that question it's called the elusive or hard question of science but I don't think it's hard at all it's the most obvious question of science because you're always using your mind and the most simple way to understand why 
dove into that sort of direction is to, if you think of it like this, if we're for three, you can go three weeks without food. You can go three days without water. You can go three minutes without oxygen, but you don't even go three seconds without using your mind. So why aren't we dedicating endless time and resources to studying mind instead of pushing it off to the philosophers and to a few scientists and then focusing totally on biology, which is what we've done in science. There's been so much focus and you need it, but we haven't balanced it with enough mind research. So that's why I decided to look at mind and mind-brain connection. And that's what I've done. And, and I had a lot of opportunity in my career. In I was born in Zimbabwe, grew up in South Africa. So I was able to immediately work. I saw the effect of mismanagement of mind in the apartheid era. So I grew up in that era and I grew up in the transition when Mandela came into power and the post-transition um, post era. And I was working in the world, in, in that field at the time, helping with mental health and education. And I spent three days a week working out in areas that had been so damaged by the system and saw the impact on, on, on mind and on, on humans and the resilience. And I worked in Rwanda after the genocide. And I worked in, so I, I had, a, I also worked in privileged schools and corporates and, but always with the focus of mind, what are you doing as a human to manage how you're living your life and how does the mind work? So let's say you're in that situation where people who've had, it's not even like, okay, modern day, oh, I feel anxiety, you know, what's sort of what we see a lot of. You're in a place, you know, like South Africa, and you're dealing with people that have had real and significant trauma. And they come to you. I'm always, this is, this is something I'm always interested in. And, and they're, you know, the system is, I don't want to say broken, but the mind is in a way so damaged and stunted by trauma and things like that, they come to you. What are, what were some of the, the practices that you, you know, you could put people through to have the, the mind impact the brain and, and actually find ways to heal out of in a real way, these traumas. Well, that's such a great question. And, and where I started my research to try and develop systems was with people with traumatic brain injury. So, and that was my mentors that really encouraged me because uh, that brain trauma, as soon as people suffered any kind of brain trauma back in the 80s, they just said, don't even bother researching that. And I said, okay, well, and there wasn't research on it. There was hardly any work being done on people with tra traumatic brain injuries. So, well, that's all I needed. That's the only challenge I needed. I said, give me the worst of the worst. I found, I tried to find people that were like literally written off by the medical um, community as vegetables. That's literally what they would call them. And I would work with those kind of people. And over time, um, it was amazing to see, obviously, when people came out of a coma and that kind of thing just to see when you teach a person about the how to actually understand that your mind is not your physical brain but it works with your physical brain and if you can directly and um, deliberately and intentionally manage mind which is always working every three seconds obviously then the physical is going to respond and that was the philosophy that drove me in all these years of research was what is mind what is brain and if we can if, if mind is the driving force how do we manage it and that's what my research has shown mind is the driving force it never stops we're always using our mind if you to 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 just everything you never stop using your mind when people like just to having a conversation I we're using our mind, making a decision about what to say is using your mind. Mind is first cause, but it gets very little attention. Body gets so much. I mean, you know, as an athlete, if we could apply the principles of an of, of, that you apply to your body to train your body to be a professional athlete to our mind, 
what a different story. So I've spent 38 years trying to teach people that we need to be like professional athletes with our mind. Our mind's malleable. So we have to understand it. It's a, it's a malleable, changeable thing. And when I say it, the mind isn't really an it, it's a force. And we've got two levels of mind. And the one level kind of looks like what you've got in the background, a beautiful beautiful environment we've got this internal almost spiritual non-conscious mind which is filled with wisdom every human has it it's the what we call the wired for love in the brain so neuroscientifically in the brain we call it wired for love but in the mind we call it the optimism bias so i love people to have analogies and they can just see your picture in the background if you think of the core of who you are as a human is this quantum gravitational fields that look like that beautiful view and that's the core of who we are and then we have life that happens and we we process life through our mind and we don't always draw on the core we, we, we become reactive instead of responsive and we build all of these extra trees onto the forest that or the view that you're seeing but imagine them on the outside imagine them like burnt trees and toxic trees and you know trees that have got mold in them whatever just like the mess and that's kind of what we do with life but we can always draw on the the strong wisdom gravitational fields that's science it's pure science i'm using analogy in science in like one sentence but we can draw on that at any point to then fix the crazy mind so we've got a wise mind and we've got crazy mind if, if you're human you've got both no right. getting away with it is, is crazy mind just sort of there to keep us alert and keep us just sort of edgy and fearful enough biologically to kind of go, what's that? And who's that? And what's this? And it just unfortunately takes over. And you, you, you've said a lot that we are hardwired for love with our biology. You know, love is in a full agreement with our biology, but we've learned this fear, this outside forest. Um, And, and I think, you know, are the exercises besides maybe accessing the inner beautiful wise mind constantly finding ways to go you know that tree is really it's getting too big and strong how do i get the chainsaw to take that down exactly that negative one what there you go there's my there's my analogy for the toxic tree beautiful i love that so so there's 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 the healthy ones behind you which is our which is our norm and our our default and that's what we tend to make you know because we are intelligent human beings so we think feel choose and we don't always do it in the right way we build this but this can be changed so we can always make that that which is great so yeah so that's that's what my work teaches people to do so when you when someone comes to you i guess because what I'm trying to drill down on here is, okay, there's there's like really big traumas, like let's say someone's been in an accident or hurt, and they actually have brain, they have damage. What about people who have sort of um, emotional mini traumas that actually impact them and put them in either a PTSD or like they, that you see that they're, they're, you know, they're emotionally kind of, they can't get there. You can't talk to them and say, hey, uh, you know, this is what's happening. We'll do these drills. It's almost like they can't believe it. Yeah. What, how did, cause I think more people live there than they have, you know, they've gone through something physically or even something like apartheid, you know, thank God, most people are not dealing with that level, but it's people who they learned fear from their parents. Somebody left, um, they were sexually assaulted, whatever these, these other yeah. kinds of trauma are. 
what is, how do you get them to even be able to focus their mind? And what do you, what is that? What is just a version of a practice look like for someone like that? Because okay. it's almost like overriding their, their response where people are like, Oh, that's for you. That's not for me. And I can't, and that doesn't work for me. And this is who I am. You know, we identify with it. We start doing all of that. How yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. How do you get them? Okay. So that's an excellent question. And it goes off the back of the question. You also, you, the previous question you asked me, what did you do? What did I do with those people that, that have in my practice for 38 years? What is this process? So I don't teach techniques. I don't teach, um, there's a million great techniques around. And I will tell you in my books and my latest book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, there are neuroplastic techniques per se, but what I've created is a process because what I want you to have in your hands is how do I, if I'm living in that trauma, response how do I or that toxic habit or that way that I'm responding acutely or just reacting instead of responding most people are reactive instead of being responsive how do I get so that's what you want to know so what I've done is develop a process that's it's so simple but it's so profound it's got 38 years of research I've just done more clinical trials I've put them in the book and I'll tell you some numbers that if you learn this process you will learn to manage like depression anxiety etc which are not illnesses they are just warning signals that's something's going on. There's symptoms of an underlying something. You can learn to manage those by 81%. And, and 81% is profound. If you can just manage your mind by, with a 10% improved factor, you're going to be a different person. So what we saw with people that, and I've seen this for 38 years, that when you drive your mind, you will manage, you'll be empowered to actually have an improvement in how you function. Initially, my research showed 35%, then it showed 75%. And as I've developed the concept, it's now at 81%. And there's no medication involved. There wasn't even diet involved. And I teach on that. I mean, I teach on organic, sustainable, whatever the whole, you have to, you have to feed you, but there's no drugs involved. So in other words, mind is the biggest factor. So what do you do? You have to understand what mind is. And then once you understand what mind is, then you've got to know how to drive it because mind is driving. So when I say you understand mind, that's mind anyway. You have to use your mind to understand your mind. You have to use your mind to drive your mind. So mind is three things. It's how you think, how you feel, and how you choose. And you're always thinking, feeling, and choosing. They never apart. Those fingers, they never separate. You're thinking all the time, every three, never, not even three seconds go without thinking. So when you think, you also feel. You will always feel. You never think without feeling. And as soon as you think and feel, you will choose. That is happening at 400 hundred billion actions per second on a non-conscious level, which is the deepest sort of spiritual part of you, the with the gravitational fields, the quantum force, your intelligence, all that fancy stuff. And the, but consciously you experience this every 10 seconds. So what I wanted to know was that can we take, like just now us having a conversation, we have already been cycling through, we've been thinking, feeling, and choosing through a five-step process on a non-conscious level at 400 billion actions per second so you and i've just been doing that in order to communicate whoever's listening and watching you're doing that so what i've done is i've taken that non-conscious process and i've made it conscious and i teach you how to do that in a conscious self-regulated way the key to managing your mind is self-regulation and it's self-regulation every 10 seconds. And now you're thinking, how on earth do I do that? Well, here's here's how you do it. Your brain is always changing. Your mind is always changing. You're not the same now as you were 10 seconds ago, 10 minutes ago, 10 an hour ago. You, you, you change. You're never the same. 
your experiences, every moment that you have a conversation with someone or you have another text or you do something else, you are adding to your experience. So your forest, the green forest behind you is the non-conscious mind. Okay, that is always changing. And we know nature is always in flux. So our mind is also always in flux. Because your mind moves through your brain, your mind being your thinking, feeling, and choosing, it's an energy force that actually moves through the brain. I've got the brain here. Okay, so your mind moves through the brain. The brain's the physical. The brain responds. So the brain is not a generator. It's a responder. That's very key. So what you want to do That's is something you, really uh, that had landed on me that you said the brain is like a Xerox machine. I thought that was really pretty a great way to for the householder to understand. Yeah, it's 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 purely a responder. It'll it'll generate what you tell it to generate. It's pretty pretty sophisticated equipment. But if you're dead, it's dead. It does nothing. So what's the difference between a dead brain and a person who's alive? You. What's you, your mind? It's the unique way that you are thinking, feeling, and choosing in this moment. And you are driving the unique structure of your brain. So even though you and I have the basic same brain structures, the way your proteins are even vibrating, the way you're organizing the the little forests in your brain, because you build forests in your brain. So the forests in your background, that's kind of what your brain looks like too. They vibrate in their own unique way because you're not the same as me. We're different people. So even though the basic structure of the brain is the same, it's different for every single person. Everyone listening to us now, you're building your own unique designer tree of your understanding of what I'm saying. And it's that combined, all the different perceptions that that create humanity and the, the diversity and beauty of humanity. And that's why we have to embrace it. So to come back to the five, what do I do? What do you do? So if you now come to me and you filled and you've got a whole traumatic experience and you're living in trauma, let's say you've had sexual abuse and you just suppressed it for years and now it's exploded as maybe in your early twenties or something. And it's affecting everything because you can't suppress, you can push things down, but eventually they will explode because those trees, like the ones that you see in the background, they're alive and they're living. The trees in your brain are alive and living. So whether they're healthy or toxic, this is the living dead, literally. It's a living, people say dead tree, but it's living. But because it's, it looks different, and I use this analogy because the trauma experience still built into your brain as a thought, but it built in all deformed and distorted. So the proteins are folded incorrectly. The vibrations are not correct. The chemical processes are not, they, it's alive and living but everything is out of balance so your brain immune system sees this as like it sees a virus like it sees COVID for example so it sends out immune factors and this creates brain damage but it's also malleable so once we deal with it the brain damage can heal so the five the the process that I've developed is to teach you how to self-regulate thinking feeling and choosing so that you can direct the changes that need to happen so if your, cha- your brain is always changing because your mind is always changing because your brain is a responder, my argument is direct the change. Take control instead of being controlled. So people say, I can't. Well, say I can't is, is actually a decision because you're changing anyway. So I can't has already changed you. What you've just done is got more toxic. So when we get that that kind of clickety click or whatever it is that we realize that, hey, I am in control. And I've worked with so many people over the years with trauma and learning disabilities and brain damage and Alzheimer's. And I can you can talk to a point where you actually can give all this advice um, and show, but it's the what I saw that was key. And that's why I worked with so many diverse populations from the wealthiest of the wealthy to the executives of corporates of, of huge corporations to those in different schools, poor schools, rich schools, uh, 
socioeconomic different strata, strata, socioeconomic strata, etc. I wanted to see what is the common denominator with humanity. And when it comes to, to mind, self-regulation is what's common. We are a mind is common. We every single human who matter who you are, what you are, you're alive, you're thinking, feeling, and choosing. Your brain is responding and you can self-regulate every 10 seconds. And that's mind management. And how do you clean up your mental mess from trauma, etc., is learning to self-regulate every 10 seconds. And that sounds impossible, but it's not because you're changing every 10 seconds. So what you just have to do is be aware of what are you saying in the moment? So the so that's the overarching principle of self-regulation. So to, to prepare yourself to do the process of directing change, to do what you would do if you had a trauma experience, you need to first understand that you are not your brain, that your mind is separate from your brain, that you think, feel, and choose, and you can do this every 10 seconds. Once you get that, the hang of that, and you can use little tricks like, well, it's not even a trick, it's a process. You can stand, I can tell you right now, stand back and observe your own thinking. You don't have to physically stand, but just in your mind, mentally, watch yourself. You can see yourself on the screen. Watch your uh, your responses, your body movements, your um, my, like I can see my hands, I'm judging my words, I'm listening now very carefully to my tone, my speed, because I talk really fast. I have to keep on slowing myself down. Um, what am I saying? Does it make sense? So I am self-regulating my response, what I am saying. So I'm thinking, feeling, and choosing about what I am saying. So I'm saying it, but I'm also controlling. I'm watching what I'm doing and I'm controlling. That's what we can do as humans. It's brilliant. My frontal lobe and yours are firing at the moment. And anyone who's trying this exercise now, the front, your brain's, the whole brain's always working, but you'll get massive um, energy of the gamma, alpha, beta, different waves, blood flow, oxygen, massive activity in the front of the brain as you stand back and observe your own thinking. And when you practice that, you can start seeing, oh, I am self-regulating. You know, you can try today when you go from this conversation, get in a conversation with your husband or your kids or someone, and just watch how you express yourself, watch their responses, change how you express yourself, change your body language, which is 50% of communication, and watch their responses. So the first key thing is preparing yourself to understand what it means to use your mind and the impact of mind. And that exercise is excellent. And it's called the multiple perspective advantage. Stand back and get a multiple perspective of who you are and how you're thinking, how you're feeling and how you're choosing. And as you practice that, you can get to the point where you are consciously aware six times a minute where you're not like timing it or anything, but you get into a state of conscious awareness. And this is not the mindfulness of meditation, which has been so reduced to such a simplistic form. It's unrealistic. Um, we have to contextualize things again. This is not just a be mindful of the moment. We're never actually mindful of the moment. It's impossible for the human mind to be only thinking of now. We time travel all the time. We are moving between the past, present, and future in any one moment. What you can do is you can decide right now I'm going to focus in on a body scan, state of my emotions, and that's part of what I teach. But at any, it won't stay there for very long. You will shift. In order to do that, you have to draw on the past and the future in order to be able to even be aware of the now. And so that's a concept that we need to get our handle around. So let me stop there for a moment, and then I'll dive into the five steps because I know you want to ask me something. We're going to say a quick thank you to one of our sponsors and get right back to the show. Somebody gave me a pair of blue blocks about a year ago, and I started wearing them as the sun was going down just to kind of wind down and get ready for sleep. It's something I battle with, and I'm always trying to you know, do anything I can to sleep better. Don't drink caffeine late, and um, if I can minimize the amount of bright light, whatever, taking you know, 
natural ingredients to help me sleep. And so my blue blocks was one of them. And then when COVID hit, I got them for my girls as well. Uh, stare, you know, they're staring at screens all day long. And, and that worked easily because they've got 20 frames of the latest fashions and trends. Um, if you have prescription glasses or non-prescription or even readers, uh, they have that as well. Maybe your face is hard to, to fit and you've got a pair of, of glasses that you love already. They can turn just about any pair of glasses into blue blocks glasses. And what, what I really appreciate about this brand is the founders were looking for blue light blocking glasses and they weren't impressed with what was out there. So they, lo and behold, they created their own company and, you know, they wanted things that had the latest science and they were, they're made under optics laboratory conditions. These guys are located in Australia. So the offer that they have for you today is significant because if you've been looking for glasses that do have the latest science, great styles, and in any way that you actually need it, Blue Blocks has an offer where if you go to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, they will give you 15% off your purchase if you put in the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y. So you can either go there by going to blueblocks.com slash Gabby, or just punching Gabby at checkout for your savings, and they will ship anywhere in the world for free. So it's blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, punching Gabby for your savings, get that free shipping, and just go on the site and you'll see there's something for everybody. Well, no, I just have a quick, now this is where I want, I'm going to take Dr. Leaf and, and ask Caroline to say, okay, you've, you, you have four children, you are an incredibly busy person and I, and your children are, are older now, but when they were younger and Caroline's there and, um, Mac, your husband is like, maybe you haven't spent enough time with him and you're, you're observing that and aware of that, that reality of like, Oh, our couple to needs attention and love. And well, you know, your kids are doing X, Y, and Z and you're tired you know, because we even can observe ourselves in those situations, but I would love to know for you, if you had extra tricks, because as, as sort of people who have information and know things, and then people who are trying to always put it in practice, even when we're sort of really behind the eight ball with the people we're most vulnerable to and with, right. And, and also, so it's like fear as a mother, like, is my kid going to grow up and be, you know, not have friends and be entitled or uh, not have a good work ethic or whatever the weird thing yeah. we tell ourselves. And I know you have a lot of faith, but did you also work on that? Did it ever surprise you, I guess, as a woman, as a wife, as a mom to be like, oh, wow, I know all this stuff. And, um, I'm going to have to find, like, I know you talk about how do you remove the triggers, things like that. I was just curious because you're, listen, doc, you're dialed. When, you know, when I, when I was, you know, diving in deeper, I was joking with you earlier, like yeah. you have beautiful, like even your presentation, like, I'm like, how does she look that incredible? Her, <laughs> her chic jackets. I mean, you know, it's like, where did you, you in that raw state, you, the, that other part yeah. of you. How, how were you, did you develop those skills? Okay. So it's such a great question. And, and, and we can, that answer I'm going to give you now will blend in all the 
five steps, the process, everything, 38 years. I'll give it in with an example. I've had to learn. I think I developed this technique for me. Um, It was first of all, when I had kids, the whole thing starts and you start feeling guilty because you're not a good mother and all that thing that mothers go through. And so from early on, before I was a mother, I was already doing research and I was already trying to help people with their minds. So it was such a natural thing to bring that into my my life. So I'm a scientist at heart and I think science is spiritual. I don't see the separation. For me, science is one of the most spiritual things. If you look at the mountain in the background, it's a spiritual experience. Science for me is a spiritual experience because it shows us how we function. So everything I have learned is part of my makeup. It's what helps me cope. I use it every moment of every day. So I don't teach one thing and research one thing and give therapy. I don't practice anymore, but when I did, and then apply another thing. If I didn't have the system that I have, if I hadn't learned how to manage my mind, I think I would have lost my mind because it's not easy being a parent, being a woman in science uh, in the 80s and 90s when it's even bad now, but it was like worse then. You know, they'd go up to my husband who goes somewhere, oh, hello, Dr. Lee. They immediately assumed that my husband was the doctor. You know, and that still happens. It's a little better now. You know, you'll be at a table with scientists and it's all men and there's, I'm the only woman. You know, I you have to really, you know, make yourself heard kind of thing. And uh, so that's, that's, that I apply everything. Having four kids as they've got older, I don't know how old your kids are, but mine are all in there between 20 and 30. So 23 and 29 is my oldest. And I can tell you now that as an, as adult children, they require more time than they did as, as young children. It was more physical time as young children, but now it's more, that's also the, the kind of type of parenting I chose to, I chose to be a parent that's very involved and get them to think and question and challenge and which is just makes hard parenting, but it's, it's the best way of building relationship and helping your kids prepare for life. Um, because they'll tell you very quickly when you do something wrong, I think you probably have the same parenting style. So I've had to use it. And, and I mean, my kids have all battled. I've battled. I had, My husband was alcoholic for the first 11 years of our marriage. Okay, so you can relate. So if I didn't have these systems in place, there's no ways. My kids have battled. I've had, my eldest had bulimia. My my son were, um, is gay. And he, we, live, we were very involved in a very homo, homophobic environment for a while with the evangelical churches, which, you know, I pulled very, <laughs> so there was the trauma he went through and how we had to change. And, you know, I came from an open background to a closed background, to, you know, so yes, I've used, and just being a parent of kids that have been battling and battling myself with time, I use this all the time. I would not be able to hold it together if I didn't know how to manage my mind. So that's a long foundation. And then I can dive in. Could, you, could your kids hear you? Cause you're, I mean, listen, people are seeking you out. You're writing books they're getting information from you. They used to come to your practice. What was, what was it ever interesting for you as a parent when you had answers, but when your kids sometimes actually have to hear it from someone else, or they don't hear it for many years. Hey, you know, mom, you were right. I guess it's maybe, I know this is, it's like you have the science and the data, but then also that is where the faith comes in that if you if you sort of say, hey, I'm showing up, Mac showing up, I'm I'm doing my best to share with them. And now I'm going to actually have to yield to a little bit of faith that it might take some time. That metrics of parents. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, did you I mean, I guess what I'm saying is. 
did you lean on that at times where it was like, yeah, yeah, science, I know what to do, but right now I'm just kind of on the ride a little bit. Oh, totally. Gabby, I can tell you that there was an incident recently. I don't know if you listened to my podcast, but we had a very serious trauma in our family just a month ago. And one of my extended family tried to commit suicide. And I was actually a very, very close family member. So an extended family, but I was the one who found them and took them to hospital and was in the hospital. And that was, and this is someone who's who's been exposed to all this great science I have and you know it has you sort of think gosh did and I in in that moment um there were many moments I went through obviously in in the hospital overnight but if I, I applied the five-step system that I have developed the neurocycling I neurocycle through my brain the neurocycle is a system that I've developed over 38 years that I developed for my patients and ended up transferring it not just for people with learning disabilities and brain damage, but actually as a life skill, as a coping mechanism that you can use in, in, in five seconds, in five minutes, in five, uh, 15 minutes over 63 days, you can use it to fix trauma, to build habits, to fix habits, and to deal with acute crises like I was in that moment. So to answer a question, yes to yes, that person had, had exposure and knew exactly what to do. They could even tell you everything. But the overwhelming trauma had been suppressed for so many years and was actually coming up. And in that, it, things get worse before they get better. And that person was actually using the system, but also going to a therapist. And that the comment, because sometimes, you know, you can give so much advice, but if you're so close to someone, you've also got to get an outside voice. But that person now a month later is turning around saying, well, I actually use all that stuff. So yes, so there's the other side that in the moment they may not, but it's, you, you keep sowing that, that seed, you keep planting that those that wisdom and then then the, that extended family member plus just recently one of my other kids said hey mom I just had to do I was like lost it and I had to do two neurocycles to get myself back under control it really works when your own kids tell you it works then you know that that's they you so so in that her moment in the hospital I had there were many things that happened but I actually did a podcast on sort of the overarching neurocycle that I did and the neurocycle neuro means brain cycle means how do I cycle through my mind to control the moment and to get my brain and body to do what it needs to do because I had to stay calm because any attempted suicide situations they will they remove any especially if it's extended family so right. it's hard enough to stay there anyway um and but that because I stayed calm I, I, they could see I was upset but I was in my mind I had this neurocycle to calm myself down they let me stay and then I was able to manage the different stages and I was also at the point where I needed help in terms of um, what uh, what you know if it's a suicide situation the psych situation in this country is terrible you you can lose that lose control over anyone your own kids extended family members friends if you don't know how to advocate in this current system you it's frightening and because I'm in the field I know and so I knew I had to be very calm but I knew I had to get some advice so I had to do a neurocycle to first once I'd calmed down so let's talk about this neurocycle thing the neurocycle's five steps each step is taking you deeper and deeper into training you to self-regulate the more you do the neurocycle the more you'll get to the point where you can you can self-regulate every 10 seconds so you do it very consciously and deliberately when you need you do it very consciously and deliberately as a daily practice over cycles of 63 days and you also do it as you need it in the moment so when you're totally stressed out from a situation like that acute trauma to keep calm I had to do a quick neurocycle so let's talk about as I arrived at the hospital and they came outside and already police and everything are around and you know I'm getting hold of the extended family's extended family and 
chaos. So there's all kinds of warning signals that will tell us that we need to be aware of. And those warning signals are emotional and physical. There's two categories of warning signals. And a warning signal is things like anxiety, depression, um, total despair, fear, terrified. Uh, those are you, you, you want to be aware of those. You don't want to just suppress them. You don't want to just let them control you because they, they be, they're like a murky or a torpedo or a, or a tsunami. They can overwhelm you. And if you don't control them, your neurochemical chaos in your brain will increase and you will have no wisdom. You will not be able to access the, the wisdom, the forest behind you. Okay. And you need wisdom in acute trauma. You need wisdom all the time. So, one of the main reasons why I teach the system is to teach people how to access your internal wisdom because every human has it. We design for survival. Survival is pure wisdom. What do I do to survive? And what do I do to survive in love? In the, in the, and I wouldn't get all woo-woo and everything, but honestly, love is a very scientific concept. We've got, we can see scientific. I can show you research where quantum physics wise, we can see that love looks like this and fear looks like this. And that, that affects how the protein vibrates. I mean, it's, it's, this is hardcore science. And we see that our brain can't handle any of those funny kind of vibrations. It's designed for this sort of vibration. And that comes up in chemicals and waveforms and oxygen and whatever, all kinds of different ways that we can see that immune system and so on. Um, so what I wanted to do in that moment of that acute trauma was to get my neurochemical chaos of the terrified the terrifying moment I was in under control so I could make good decisions to manage the situation and I knew that I'd be the best person to go in and manage the situation because I knew how to stay calm and I knew I know I know the system being in mental health so I was the delegated person to go into hospital with the person because they didn't want anyone but they said okay one person can go so immediately I gathered my awareness of my terrified warning signals. I was terrified, um, in fear, anxiety with everything. So I acknowledged them very quickly in a few seconds. I, and, I, and then I looked, I did a body scan. So I looked at my, by acknowledging and embracing my warning signals. So embrace means to do this together. So step number one is gather, embrace your emotional, physical warning signals. Why? To control them. As soon as you control them, they don't control you. As soon as you have control, you're empowered to face the situation. So this is much more than just being mindfully aware and blah, blah, blah. This is, and breathing deeply. You can't even breathe in that situation. You, you're not even ready to, you're breathing just to survive, but you're not, go oh, now go do a deep breathing. Please, you're going to slap someone. You can't do that in that moment. So you have to just tune in. What am I feeling? Very objectively. So I split into this multiple perspective advantage. Here was Caroline. Here was Caroline. This Caroline was the wise one, the therapist, the mother, the, the, the internal wisdom that we have saying, okay, this is the situation. You're feeling this, this, and this. What's in your body in your body? What do you feel? Okay. Then the second step, what are you going to do? Why, why the ask, answer, discuss the reflect. So reflect is this massive concept of, okay, what's the situation? How are we going to manage this? The who, what, when, where, why? And you quickly, I went into like a minute of that. And then the third step is to write as you embrace and as you reflect you take your brain you activate the two sides of the brain you pull on you activate gamma waves across the brain and all the others but the gamma waves integrate information and help you dig into the forest where the wisdom is you also activate alpha which helps you access the unconscious wisdom so you start digging brain wise you activate a very intelligent flow mind wise you activate a very intelligent flow so it 
you're still crying, you're still freaking out, but you're different. There is this part of you that's calm and there's this part of you that's freaking out. And you can't in that, I didn't in that moment have a piece of paper and pen or go and write on my phone. So you visualize. When you visualize, you're also writing genetically. So I visualized what could be the situation and what I want the situation to be. So in a minute, I just did that. And then I did what the fourth step, which is a recheck. Okay, what's viable? What can, and this is all happening while we're getting the person in onto the bed into the this is happening in that sort of two minutes five minute process i'm running alongside and i'm doing this then the fourth step is okay how am i going to manage this is what's happening this is what so i look back at what i have just analyzed and i start trying to find a pattern trying to find what can how can i reconceptualize this what what am i going to do about this and then i go straight into an active reach this whole process i did in that time from the hospital at the car to the emergency room and by the time I got there I started having a bit of a plan then it was the whole initial stage whatever so the night went on then once we'd got everything under control and medically stabilized and the person surviving slit risk for a tachycardic event or coding but it's there was then I needed another phase of neurocycling where I needed to get advice from whatever so I went through another okay now what am I feeling now what do I need to do so in other words what I'm saying is that those five steps of gather awareness of my warning signals gather not just become mindful of gather awareness embrace don't see them as scary see them for what they are they're messengers and as soon as i the neuroscience i know from my research that as soon as i'm aware of those warning signals i then this that'll bring up all the the related thoughts related to because you, you in one one experience will bring up a whole bunch of thoughts one thought has got a whole lot of memories so look at this tree it's got roots lots of roots this and these branches this tree is a thought a thought's made of memories. So memories and thoughts are not the same things. Thoughts, the whole big tree. Memories are the branches. Look in the background. You've got, you're looking at one tree is a thought. It's a concept. It is this person's state of mind. So that's what came up. This person who tried to commit suicide, this extended family member, the thought was in my head, there's been a problem for a long time. So it's that person. And, and then as that person came up, all the issues and the root causes, because I happen to know some of the root causes because the person's been doing the work and everything's so in other words that came up in my head and that that as soon as it's up in your head as soon as you're aware as soon as you gather awareness not just become aware as soon as you gather and embrace you start weakening so what we see from neuroscience is when you suppress something it's it controls you but when you embrace something you control it so we see the neuroscientifically the chemical bonds weaken the protein bonds weaken so this is this causes brain damage this is damaging the brain but if i start embracing it immediately i'm shifting it into this even though it's still painful i'm saying okay there is a reason why this is happening i embrace it i weaken it i'm getting control over it and that's the first part the first step is to get that control the second step as you reflect you're starting to look at okay what are the what are the behaviors linked to the warning signals what is the perspective what is the origin why is this happening so you start doing the work of going the reflect is starting to dig deep as you write you get chaos out of your brain you get your brain on paper you dig deeper you get more reasons as you recheck you get order you get men do a mental autopsy, you get patterns and triggers. And as you do that, you then find roots. And the fifth step, the active reach is a little action. It's a statement. It's what you're going to do. And then, then you start the next cycle. So if you, I've explained how to fire, apply that in, in the moment. If you're dealing with that's the, and that, you, I'd call a neurocycle life hack. So let's say another in the moment situation. Let's say that now your your kids have an argument, or you have an argument with your husband, or you, which happens. I mean, let's, well, you're not spending enough time with your husband because your 
kids or work are demanding and there's like, you know, the husband comes to you and says, hey, you know, and, and there's a bit of an argument. What do you do in that moment? And you're a cycle. First of all, gather awareness of your, stand back, observe your own thinking. What do you observe? You observe your warning signals. What are the warning signals, physical and emotional? What are my behaviors? What am I saying? What am I doing? What, what am I thinking, feeling, and choosing at this moment? What's the impact of my behaviors, my nonverbal, et cetera, on my husband or whatever? What's the feedback I'm getting? What's my perspective towards him? Am I seeing, oh, he's this or that, or am I seeing, and what is the root? And you can do that in five seconds and you can shift a potential argument of, because I naturally were going to, when someone says to me, Hey, you're not spending time with me. I'll go defensive justification. I'm trying to do everything. I'm this more. So I do this whole defense thing. And the minute you say, I am trying, people feel awful. You actually make someone else feel awful because now they feel guilty. All they were doing was coming to you. Like all my husband was doing maybe in that moment was coming and saying, I just need a bit more time. I don't need hours. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. But it's also, it's also recognizing and you have enough experience (laughs) because you've been with, with Max so long. This is a good thing. They're saying, hey, I'm interested. I love you. I'm trying to extend and pay attention to maybe we need to connect more. And I think as you go through a little more time, instead of being defensive, because I I feel that I I years ago could feel the same way. And I think especially if you're a working woman and you have children, it's like you're trying to do it all. And you're like, listen, I'm trying to do it all. Instead of this person is actually expressing themselves and, and I've learned, actually, I'll start the conversation if Laird were to say something, I can see your point. I will go right to, I see what you're saying. So and, good. Yeah. And I think you don't have to dishonor yourself. I think you can yeah. say, you know what, I'm feeling overwhelmed and I do this. I will do better. I appreciate that, you know, whatever. I think it's sometimes um, recognizing that it's a good thing if someone's saying, hey, we haven't spent time. Exactly. So what you've just done is a neurocycle because so Leah comes to you and says, hey, we are, you know, like, when are we going to spend some time together? And it may be that the body language is maybe a bit aggressive. So you, instead of getting defensive, what you've done is you've immediately recognized your warning signals. Okay, this is, he loves me, he cares for me. We should be spending time together. I, and you know, I, I'm feeling defensive, but I don't really need to feel defensive. So, but, but even I've jumped 10 steps ahead. The first thing you'll feel is an emotional reaction. Oops, you know, maybe frustration or irritation or guilt then you'll feel your body tense then from there you can look at your behaviors what are you about to say what am I what did I just say then you can look at what's my perspective am I being defensive or am I tuning in then you can say okay no there's a rooter he has a valid argument I have been super busy with the kids and the business and we just haven't had a date night for five months or something and you can do that in five seconds and in that five seconds while you're doing that you've you've gone through the neurocycle you can actually gather awareness of your physical emotional what are your behaviors so it's the warning signals are what this thing is emanating. So imagine this is emanating sulfur. This is ugly, so it's some sulfuric smell. That sulfuric smell is the emotional and physical. So what's my body doing? What's my what? What am I emotionally doing? Quickly grab it. Two words. Now the neck branches are the behaviors. What you're saying. What you're doing. What are you saying? What are you doing? What are you about to say? What did you just say? What's your body language doing? So this is the sort of action part. That then comes from a perspective, which is. Do I need to be, am I being defensive? Am I justifying? Am I, am I tuning in? Am I being self-involved or whatever? Am I trying to, whatever? And then the root is, and you, so you, you can get down. So it's, it's be aware of gather awareness, reflect, yeah. find the branches and the, the perspective, 
in your mind, visualize. That's the third step. Or write. Physically, you've got time to write. But in the moment, you're not going to have time to write. So you just visualize it for the third step. Fourth step is that, okay, let me just see. Um, let me look back at my, my body language. Let me analyze this. Is it is it aggressive? Is it defensive? And then root, okay, we do need to spend time together. So that's now active reach. What am I going to do? Instead of now snapping, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say what you've just said. I'm going to say, I hear what you're saying. It's actually very valid. We haven't spent time together. And you reflect back. So your active reach, your fifth step, that where you started the conversation of this little the section of our discussion yeah. was actually your active reach. You had mentally gone through that process because the result of a good neurocycle is good communication. And it's it's a it's an acknowledgement of it's either a boundary setting or it's a an acknowledgement of like you just said, instead of saying, Oh, I'm trying, you said, Yeah, you got a point. So you you act that's your active reach there. You went through a good cycle without even knowing. I, I didn't honestly tell you one part though that I do and I've always done, which is if my kids are acting in a way that like I feel is, you know, like whatever, it's not that it's not valid, but you, you know, or if my husband, yes, absolutely. Way, what I do do actually first, and, I, and I've always been a person who's observed my words very carefully. Yeah, um, that's good. Is yes, but sometimes I, I want to get into that part is inside. I'll be like, Oh, this guy, you know, like sometimes what I actually, that's, this. Do, that's the perspective. Yeah. First inside, I'll just be like, because that helps me sort of not push away some of my initial feelings of like, Oh, pshaw. you know, here we go. Because also if I'm going to work so hard to be articulate with my words and try really hard to get to resolution and consider what this person, where they're coming from and be empathetic, it helps me to be like, a little juvenile inside and just be like, Oh, psh, are you, you gotta be joking. That's the first four steps you, you can do exactly. So do that, get that. That's, that's not a bad thing. That's exactly what I'm saying. In order for you to get to the point where you say something that is going to be constructive and move the relationship yeah. in the right direction or that moment in the right direction, you need to go through this and we're not allowing ourselves to do that. All oh the yeah. Time. And, and I remember when the kids are little, do you remember when babies don't sleep and then they wake up and then maybe you're nursing or whatever? I joked, yeah. I, wrote a book, I wrote a book years ago and I talked about like, excuse my mouth, but I, in my first thought, I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? And then I would go and do my job, right? But yeah. I would never dishonor myself a little bit of like, you know, sort of being messy, inappropriate. Rough. Exactly. You embrace know, the like, mental mess. That's why I've called like, this book that cleaning up the mental mess. We have to embrace it. You can't change it if you deny it. It is totally okay to say uh, all those things. That's part of it. And if we, that's what we've got to start allowing ourselves to do. But we've got this thing. You've got to be this perfect person. You can't oh. say those words. In our Western culture, we have so messed up this side of things that we've caused mental distress. In, in the research I just did recently, which I've put into this into yeah. this book, I actually showed that the way you look at something, the way you, and that's why I use the words gather and embrace. Gather that, that uh, you know, that it's okay. You're human. It's it's a good reaction. You're simply reacting in the moment to what you can do to survive. But you're not going to stay there. The difference is, is a lot of people will stay there. So I say embrace and then reflect Right, gather, recheck, and 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 get an active reach. So it's going through the process. So you've got to embrace. So what we see, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what no, we no. see from from 
Western from Eastern Eastern philosophy. Now, there's an interesting study that came out of Texas, University of Texas and Japan. Very interesting combined study. And I was very excited. It came out recently and it confirmed the research that I just did. One of the aspects that I was looking at was what happens if you embrace instead of reject? Because the whole point is if you have depression or anxiety or frustration or just having that response to you to your husband or your kids being crazy or whatever, or life or a friend or someone saying something on social media, you don't have to push that down. If you see that as helpful, as a message as a symptom of of something then immediately you shift your entire physiology what we've told that's what now that's what the eastern philosophy is anything that's negative is not negative it's a message um, it's helpful and that's what i also showed i proposed in my research and i put it into this book that's why i say gather and embrace because i'm saying it's a message say it because if you don't say it it's not going to go away as much as you pretend it's going to go away you will build up resentment so then it eventually controls you so i don't want resentment to control me i don't want misunderstanding between me and my husband or myself and my kids or myself and a work colleague or whatever i don't want that to control me i want to be empowered to shift the power balance does well, that make also, sense so embracing it beyond makes sense it, it, it brings up a couple things and you can i know you can relate to this so sometimes we're diligent students we're we're, we're really directing our mind and then it's like how do we blend you know we're human we're feeling we're warm we're engaged yeah. With this other discipline, because sometimes it feels like, OK, I'm going to be dutiful and respond correctly. And then I start to lose some of my my messy warmth. And, it, you know, and if you're always living in your feelings and, you know, all of that, then in a way you're sort of just circling the ball around and around and you're not really getting to this place where you're getting to the root of things. You're avoiding tons of, you know, unnecessary either conflict or drama. Um, so I, I always think that that's an interesting blend of, yeah. you know, just enough messiness and warmth, which is what life I feel is like this is part of what makes us connect and, and bond with the right amount of, hey, listen, if if I see something that annoys me or a situation or a person, I don't run for it. I recognize quickly, you know, I don't have good chemistry with this person. I I think I'm going to move around it. Um, but you, you said something and you just used the word where unforgiveness and resentment is really bad for your brain. Yeah, yeah, it is because it's 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 the it's the, for your brain and mind. So think of mind, think, feel, choose, yes. and brain as physical. So you've got you, which is think, feel, choose in your unique way, and it's moving through brain. So if if brain is wired for love and and think, feel, choose is wired for optimism, and both are there for wired for survival. Because if this is not wired for love, you can't survive. Because anything that's toxic in the brain actually damages and shortens lifespan. And that's what my research showed that if you actually don't manage your thinking, feeling, and choosing, you're going to shorten for many things. You're going to increase inflammation. You're going to increase cortisol. You're going to even affect your telomeres, which are the ends of chromosomes, and they are proxy for how they're a direct proxy for how we manage mental health and our mind. And if we don't manage our mind, those are shortening, which means your biological age is getting worse by the minute. And you then increase vulnerability to disease by 75 to 98%. And I showed in nine weeks, you can reverse that. In nine weeks, you can significantly reverse that, not through medication, not through diet, through mind management. So if you then add diet to that, you, you're going to... So essentially, what 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 I'm saying uh, to, to, to explain unforgiveness, if some... 
someone does or resentment, someone, maybe you're helping someone and they just don't seem to be appreciating what you're doing and you've poured so much energy into them and you feel you, so you've, you've gone from empowering to enabling. As soon as you're enabling someone where you're actually trying to fix it for them, you're going to feel resentment and resentment looks like this in the brain. So now that person that you're helping, it's become very toxic because it's now resentment that's causing brain damage. Uh, that's one aspect and you need to say okay i've got to shift back from enabling back to empowering because the resentment's totally linked in with that concept and then that changes us back to to a healthy tree talking about unforgiveness people hurt us all the time i can guarantee there isn't a day that goes by that someone's not going to hurt you it might be on social media it might be a conversation but someone you're going to have an opportunity to forgive and forgive is really a dis it's a disentanglement so if you some if someone hurts you that's your quantum your quantum uh interest coming out right because i have a yes Spiros who's a quantum physicist and he's like everything is entanglement and it's totally true. You, you are vibrating. You, you, I can see you and you can see me and we can go in our heads and we can find a brain and structures and hearts. But at the core of who you are, at your most fundamental level, you waves of energy. And essentially, our waves of energy flow in such a way that it's, it's promoting survival. And so when we get toxic in any way, so if someone hurts us, they've done something to us, there's a relationship now, there's a connection. So I now have this toxic thing in my head and that this is also in the other person who did it to me so now because they there's there's this relationship there's an entanglement so if this if i think about this i'm activating in that person's brain and this is not some science fiction this is fact we see two particles when they are separated if they're in relationship you can separate them if one turns this way one turns that way and this is why you can recall ptsd someone who traumatizes you you can recall the person you can feel the pain you can it's so it's though they're standing in front of you so it could be 30 years ago but you re-experience as though it's now because your mind's always, like I said in the beginning, time traveling. You never live in just the, the now. You're always living in the past, present, and the future. It's, it all blends in your mind level because your mind is so quantum. Um, so we're always going to that. Okay. So when you don't forgive, you actually put yourself at a disadvantage because you stay entangled to that person. So if they think something toxic about you or they recall you in their memory and they think of something, you're still connected, you're still affected. See, yeah. you're still connected, you're still affected. But by forgiving, you're not forgiving what they've done. What they've done is their problem, okay? That's a toxic mess in their brain. They've got brain damage. If someone's hurt you, listen, they've got brain damage as well. And by you disentangling, you don't increase your brain damage. You forgive what they did was wrong. It's unforgivable if someone rapes someone or does something unkind to someone. It's, it's unforgivable. But you have to forgive. It's unforgivable, but you, when I say unforgivable, you separate and you protect yourself. So you forgive, not the action, but you forgive to get it out of you. So it's almost a selfish thing that you're doing. You, you well, disentangle, it, you, you it, break it, the relationship. It's harsh, right? Like self-care and taking care of yourself, there is a harshness to it. Yes. That it makes a lot of people, and I'm going to go on a limb and I do this a lot, but I think females have a harder time with being like, Hey, I'm so sorry. That just doesn't work for me. Or, you know, I, I think when, when you talk about this, it brings up uh, two things. One feeling obligation is also another entanglement that is really yeah. important to, to recognize, to get away from, because let's say I invite you to go somewhere. I meet you, our kids go to school together and you actually kind of don't like me, or you're just really busy, right? Like you, yeah. you barely have time for the people that you're really committed and dedicated yeah. to. 
Okay. And this happens for a lot of people at certain times in their life. Absolutely. And I say, Hey, we're having a ladies martini. Like you couldn't think of anything worse. Yeah. Than like three o'clock on a Wednesday. And we're going to talk about the real house of death. Who knows what show and who cares. Right. <laughs> and you say, Hey, no, thanks. I can't make it. And what I learned is not feeling obliged. I call it putting blood in the water because all of a sudden they pick up on it. But if you go, Hey, thanks so much. I can't make it. It's finished. And it's, yes. it's not impacting you. And then somehow in a way also, I believe that they don't pick up on that, that wave, that vibration. They're like, oh, she can't make it. And I think it's an important thing to realize based on what you're saying that there's a part of this, be it positive with a positive end result. There's a harshness to it. Having clear communication sometimes is harsh, right? And, and for people to be okay with that, to be that it's not not in love, right? You're not yeah, still yeah. not being in love. And I think that's important. And something my husband says when people are acting in a way that, um, you know, I want to get entangled, he'll, he'll, he'll sometimes just say, Oh, I wonder how that's working for them. And I found that mm -hmm. to be a really interesting and easy way to switch my thinking and be like, Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's not my thing. And, and so I, I really appreciate that. So I don't, I, I mean, we could go on and on. So you know, the other thing you talk about, though, is if your mental, um, you know, mind is a mess that your hormones are a mess. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I really appreciated that you address that. I look at you, you have a lot of vitality. Um, you're, you know, you're very youthful and healthy. So I, I think, um, you know, people have to realize that this impacts everything. If, if somebody wanted to, because you have so many books, switch on your brain, your mental mess, 101 ways to be less stressed, think and eat yourself smart. If we could just go drop into a couple buckets um, let's say you're somebody who's aging and you're concerned about your mental, like just literally mental capacity to improve, um, you know, whether avoid Alzheimer's or just improve, you said, you know, nine weeks, maybe which book of yours sort of addresses that the most? I would start with cleaning up your mental mess. The reason being is because it's the latest research, it's the latest, it's the most simplified way that I've ever explained any of this stuff. And it's got complete life applicability to every situation. It's totally teaching you how to manage your mind. And as you manage your mind, you're going to get the hormonal benefits, the blood, blood chemistry benefits, the brain benefits. And that, that link is very clearly laid out there. So what I teach you in this, in, in, in this book is the mind brain connection. And we can talk briefly about the hormones because it's very interesting, but I show you in the second half of the book, how to apply this to build your brain. So if you want to, if you want to prevent Alzheimer's, if you want to improve your hormones, your immune system, your brain resilience, your brain health, your body health, you have to brain build every single day. And that's the first five use of the five-step neurocycle in the book, where I, which is the first thing I would do with my patients. It's the first thing I actually discovered in my research was that if you brain build, you create a complete different level of resilience in the brain. You increase the, um, the connection between the two sides. You get a flow of energy. If you think of the beach, if you think of the sea, think of the waves very far out in the sea, they're these huge waves. Those are what we would call delta waves in the brain. As you move in a little bit, you get, it's also big swells, but they're not as big. And those are the theta waves. And then you move in a little closer and it's starting to form into a bit of a, a, a way that's alpha. Alpha is the bridge between the deep part of the sea and this side of the sea where we get breakers. And then you've got your actual 
wave forming that's beta, then the, as it crests, that's high beta, and then as it forms the little ripples on the beach, that's gamma. And then the whole thing sucks back in and it does it again. Now, we want that happening across the brain, both sides of the brain, all the time. So when someone is in a very um, toxic state, not managing their mind for if it's a in-the-moment stuff like we've described, like the argument with the husband or the trauma, the acute trauma or the people-pleasing moment or the toxic words are spoken or the terrible text or the comment on Instagram or the immediate the, the, the pressure of just trying to balance everything in your life, those instant moments you can manage with the neurocycle because you can then get control back. You can bring balance back into the brain. You can get that waveform flowing. When that wave flows, you bring um, a nice balance to the front of the brain, which increases your cognitive flexibility, your ability to be able to assess the situation, to be able to draw on that inner wisdom, to be able to not be impulsive and to learn to self to respond in a very self-regulated way. But if you don't and you just get out of control, so, the, so to get to that state where you can get that kind of resilience happening just like that, as you know, as the argument happens, as the text comes, as the emotions hit you, that you can get under control. What I've shown scientifically is that you get yourself back under control at a, at a factor of 81%. So what that looks like is, and brain building is the first sort of stage to developing the skill. So what that looks like is if now if I have an argument with my husband or get irritated with with someone at work or whatever happens, situation happens, I've got to try and balance me. I don't like trying to arrange everything. I'm not a good arranger. I get very, I like, I've got people that do it for me. Don't ask me to try and coordinate the family's dinner plans. I will get completely stressed. But what would have happened in the past was I would have been stressed for a very long time. Now within seconds, I can, within seconds to minutes, I can gather myself, calm myself down and do it. And I do it through the neurocycle. So the time lapse changes. So the mental mess is there all the time in my life. I'm not saying it's not there, but I get it under control very fast. And that's the difference. And that's the skill that you can learn. It's a skill that you can learn. So brain building is using the five steps, which is that gather, ref reflect, write, and and recheck, reteach, re but to build your brain. So you learn new information. I brain build every day in the morning and try and do it during the day for at least two hours. I find two hours every day to learn new information. And even if it's 15 minutes here, 30 minutes there, and I'll use the five steps and I'll actually learn new information. When you learn new information, you're growing lots of very strong forests in the brain. You're getting lots of these trees. And once again, the picture behind you, you're growing um, a, a, an ability, a lattice in your brain that when the acute trauma hits you or when the traumas from the past suddenly start uh, coming up because they've been triggered or you're going to therapy and now suddenly you know, they duck with surgery. Things get worse before they get better. It's some a reference you kind of didn't, almost made earlier on. You're talking about how things get worse before they get better. If you're dealing with an acute trauma, if you're dealing with a toxic habit or whatever, before you deal with that, you want your brain strong so that you can actually deal with that. So brain building is like you clean your teeth every day and you clean your house every day and you change your clothes and you shower. You should brain build. You're, if you don't, when you go to bed at night, you've got a lot of networks that have have been um, that when you wake up in the morning, you get all these new neurogenesis. It's new little networks born for you to be able to use. And how do you use them? Thinking, feeling, choosing. So if you don't use them through brain building, they're there for resilience. You go to bed at night with a whole lot of them left over and guess what they become? Dirt in your brain. They become toxic waste and that can increase all kinds of stress, et cetera, et cetera, and it affect your sleep and everything. So brain building is a surefire way of building resilience for all those acute things you have to work on. Plus, um, plus basically sorry, just being able to how many people get your mental mess under control go, quicker. Oh, I'm then in, I'm, I go uh, in, sorry, I'm go ahead. Go having, ahead. I'm in menopause, so my, I have brain fog. Oh, now I'm 70, so I just, I don't have a 
memory. I think it maybe we're in this, we're not in that expansive brain empowering, brain supporting way. Okay, so your brain always gets better with age. It's the only organ of your body that doesn't get that that gets better with age. Okay, so what happens is is, is it my uh, patients that were elderly that were starting to show signs of dementia or just wanted to be proactive and not get. I talked into brain builders. So you want to be proactive in in not getting into that state that that it's not natural for us just to get Alzheimer's. That's a totally Alzheimer's is a thought disorder and it's also linked to lifestyle. So it's often called type three diabetes as we learn more about it. So it's it's related to the lifestyle decisions about how we manage stress and how we manage our bodies physically. Um, so you can be proactive. So I used to run workshops and I still be starting a whole neurocycle club where, and this book teaches you that you can actually be proactive and preemptive. So you don't, this whole thing of when you get, when you're 70, when you get old, your brain gets, that's nonsense. If you haven't managed your stress, yeah, pretty much it's going to. If you've lived a lifestyle of not managing, but it's never too late. I've had patients of 78, 83 who transformed their life. It's never too late. I have so many people that follow me that are elderly that are transforming their life at 70, 75. So don't just get into this toxic mindset from the world that says you're old, therefore you're home. One thing I will say for women is that, and it's for men too, because of our um, the way society has changed and the way we've been exposed to chemicals, our hormones do change. And so that's a very, very key factor that from about 25, unfortunately, you start, your hormones start changing. It used to be, um, we've, we have hormone changes now at 25 that we used to have at 50 and so on. So we're seeing people losing, and as soon as you lose, like for example, if you don't have enough estrogen, you're, you're at risk for cardiovascular disease, for stroke, for depression, etc. So I'm a total believer in BHRT, bio-identical hormone replacement therapy. I go for it myself. My husband has it. I've interviewed lots of people on my podcast about that. So there is, there are things that we've lost from our from our environment, and lost from our diet, and have you can't control chemical exposure. You can in your own home, but you don't even know what this jacket's made of. You don't know what you're putting on when you have these in your ears. So, in other words, we have to also work on that side of things. So we don't have to just necessarily in brain building gives you like you can you can do a brain building exercise go study hormones in other words go and learn learning brain building is learning new information learn read my book use use my book to do brain building brain building is key to getting your brain resilient so that you can have the wisdom to get the hormones and get the hormones to work for you if you put hormones in your body and you think oh this is not going to work for me i'm getting old anyway uh you've just lost 80 percent of the effectiveness of those hormones you know, this is what we've got to realize. Your mind drives the effectiveness of food and out? medication in your body. That's how important mind is. So, no, it doesn't because I, I know how to prepare myself for age. It's not something that I'm scared of at all. I mean, I'm very pleased to to that I can go and do exercise and I do. I mean, I do five fasted workouts a week and I do yoga literally every day and hot yoga. I've got an infrared sauna. I do this stuff. I've, I, I've invested. I use a glucose monitor. I eat organic um, farm to table. You know, so I'm, I'm, I've used my mind to brain build to find out what do I need to do to keep my brain and body physically healthy because I know what to do with mind. So I use my mind techniques and I go to the experts and I learn through brain building how to, under, you, to learn how to understand. Do you have anything because this is something in my life I so aging doesn't scare I, I me wrestle with do you have something that's like just straight fun for you uh 
I, I really enjoy just being able to chill and do like nothing because I do so much. <laughs> the, the funnest thing is that I wake up and think, I've got no plans today. This is like the, what should I do? It's like, I, I don't even know what it feels like to be bored. So yes, that's for me is fun. And then doing fun things with the family dinners and Dr. walks Lee, and, I just wanna, you know, um, games with the family and that sort of thing. That's the typical stuff. That's, that you talk about that I think is really important. You talk about nature, nurture, and then you talk about the I factor. And I really appreciated this because I think, you know, it's easy if, when you're a young woman and you go, hey, I'm into science. Like, I know that's what I'm going to do. And, and you have so many people who are like, well, I don't, I'm not sure what I, what I want to contribute or what I want to do or what's my gift or my genius. And you, you talk about, um, you know, nature and, the nur and nurture, but then you also talk about the I factor. The I factor is basically what we've been talking about this whole time. It's mind. Your I factor is how you uniquely think, feel, and choose. And no one can, no one can do what you can do. And so when we recognize that, then suddenly competition isn't even an issue. We've been the reason we feel threatened or, um, by other people is because we don't know our own I factor. Our I factor always overrides biology and always overrides nurture. And we can see that with people that have come through concentration camps, for example. I mean, I'm interviewing someone who actually was in Auschwitz. I'm interviewing her this week. That's why, that's why that jumped into my head. I mean, we all know people that have come through adversity. You know yourself, you've come through adversity. Each, each and everyone listening has come through something. So nature is what you, is the biology. Nurture is how, what you've been exposed to growing up and all of your culture, etc. And then, but uh, there's been a debate between the two to see which one is better, which one's stronger, which one dominates more. Neither of them dominate because the I factor overrides it all. And, the, and that's you. You can, you can take all the medication do all the greatest fasting, do the BHRT, do the organic food, do try and, but if you're not managing your mind, the I fact, if you're not controlling how you think, feel, and choose, all of those others lose up to 80% of the effectiveness in your body. So that exercise, you will lose 80% of the effectiveness because your mind, so that's why people that are in their peak performance look great, doing everything, they drop down dead with a heart attack or they commit suicide because the mind has to be controlled. You know, and that's, that's the I factor is you, your unique way of thinking, feeling, and choosing. And, you know, I wanted to just quickly say something also related to that. When we talk about trauma, like we didn't really get into, we spoke more about the in-the-moment stuff. Trauma is something that's very pervasive. And this tree, I'm not sure if you can hear me. We're going to do a quick thank you to one of our sponsors and get right back to the show. Taking vitamins, you know, it can be confusing. You almost feel like you need to really understand the landscape of supplementation to really do it effectively. But one thing is for sure, we all need a good multivitamin. And I have been taking the Ritual multivitamin for over two months, and I love it. I love everything about this brand. They're, it's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin. It's formulated with high-quality nutrients that are bioavailable, imagine that. You know, it's like you're spending the time, the resources to actually do the vitamins. You want ones that your body will understand what to do with it. So they have vitamins that are highly bioavailable. Things that you will not find in the Ritual Multi is sugars, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fillers, and artificial colorants. It, it's funny, you know, I, I look at natural food and vitamins and you think, oh, they're healthy. And the fact of the matter is, is that we still have to do our homework and find out who's doing it right. Here's kind of an extra little fun thing about it too is that they have a fresh taste. It's like this minty aftertaste and a delayed release capsule. So if people maybe get a queasy stomach taking vitamins, that makes all of this very, very easy. The other great thing is 
they do it. They've got a women and a men's. We all need different things. They even do teen vitamins and then over 50. So I'm, I'm saying that they're really sort of trying to figure out, Hey, what do people need based on who they are and where they are in their life? And you can take this multivitamin with such confidence because all of their ingredients are highly traceable. So they've got transparently sourced ingredients. They have nine nutrients to help fill the gaps in your diet. Again, it's very, very difficult to figure out, you know, what we're not getting and what we are getting and, you know, where our vegetables are coming from and which soil and all of these things. So Ritual has done just such a beautiful job. They even, you know, listen, even the way it looks, it has like oily and dry ingredients together in the same capsule and you can look at it. So I've really enjoyed this brand. I'm excited to share it with you and they have a great offer for you. So if you would like to get key nutrients without all that junk in it, Ritual is offering the listeners today, 10% off during your first three months. So this is another amazing thing. Everything is delivered to your door every month with free shipping. Always. You can start even snooze, maybe go on a trip or cancel your subscription at any time. And if you don't like ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. So let's go back to the offer. They will give you 10% off during your first three months. If you visit ritual.com slash Gabby, so you can start your ritual today. That's ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash Gabby. Okay, now okay, I can. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Oh, so I, I'm going to make a note here. So trauma is something that's pervasive. Trauma is something that's pervasive and ubiquitous. And trauma is an experience or multiple experiences. And you mentioned earlier on different types of trauma. You get big T trauma, which is maybe like an abuse, little T trauma, which is just as important, but it tends to be over time and maybe a little bit less dramatic, but also equally as traumatic. And then you get acute, which is sudden trauma. And I have a whole section in the book talking about how you manage that. Any kind of trauma that is re-experienced or suppressed, it's like you, you cope in the moment. So something happens and experience like a sexual abuse and you it's an experience so it's wired into your brain it's also wired into your mind it's wired into every cell of your body and then if it happens pervasively you get this toxic trauma and then very often sexual abuse for example it's the easiest one to understand this with gets tends to get suppressed for many years because of the guilt and shame and people look at this makes them distorts perception and they feel that they are guilt and shame which is really sad and that's like a very big overgeneralization but in order to deal with this you can deal with this you've got to actually embrace it process it and reconceptualize it so the five steps for trauma work unbelievably well but it's over time so when we're breaking down a trauma that's existing or a toxic habit maybe you've got a toxic habit that we've developed we all have we all have toxic habits we've developed um, or maybe you want to build a new habit it doesn't happen over 21 days that's something i emphasize and i show in my research there's like very few yeah very few people that have done any research in this and there's this myth that it's 21 days it takes 63 days to form a habit so if you're dealing with trauma i show you how to use the five steps daily for 15 to 20 15 to 45 minutes not longer it's just too emotional you just keep it in fixed amounts of time 15 to 45 over 63 days and there's certain things you do each day so it's a five steps you do every day for, for 21 days and then for another 42 days you just do the fifth step and there's a whole lot of science behind that so i just wanted to stress that that this is this is when we talk about managing our mind we're talking about 
our mind working every three seconds. You've got to manage the every three seconds, but you also have to go back in your mind and manage the established stuff, the stuff that's been there, that's impacting the every three seconds. So it's kind of two levels that you have to work on. And it takes 63, not 21 days. I think that's And the really- I factor is huge there. The I factor is huge there. I think it's a really important note because I always say, listen, you can have all the knowledge in the world, all the resources, but if you don't have that practice in place, um, and- it's it's really kind of futile at that point. Well, okay, so uh, Dr. Leaf, I could talk to you forever. I, I would love to talk to you again because there's so love many more things. So, you know, whether it's hormones or learning or dealing with trauma or increasing brain capacity or just, uh, like you said, just even that first step of, of observating, observing yourself. Observing. I, I just think people don't realize how powerful those those reminders are. And, it, and it's uncomfortable at first, and sometimes it's always uncomfortable, but uh, it really, it really does work. So your mental mess is is this book. You have so many other books. I I, I talked about them earlier, um, and then your podcast. What days does your podcast? Uh, what day of the week does it come out? Comes out I think Monday and Thursday. So it's two twice a week, and we're doing a lot more solo podcasts now. So yeah, it comes out twice a week, and it's, we used to do three days a week, but now it's like just got. Too much so we do it twice a week and it's also called cleaning up your mental mess and there's a lot of i unpack a lot of these concepts in simple ways and i have guests like you do and you got to come on my podcast sometime for sure i'd love to interview you too so yes. people can get a lot there and obviously social media yeah <laughs> well i really appreciate not only the work you're doing but your ability to break it down and just the 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 full conversation about taking care of your mind, which helps your brain, your body, your spirit, even, and, and you said it earlier, also we have to believe that this works and helps us. And, and, and that's a, a big part of it. And, and that's being, mind as well. That's mind. Everything's yeah. mind. And being, <laughs> and being in love. So exactly. Um, that's mind too. So it's yeah. all done with your mind. So we have to control our minds. <laughs> Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation. I loved it. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.